Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hey, everybody. What's up? Welcome back. It's MMA After Hours. Michael Carlisle and Micah Frankel. Micah, how you doing, man? I'm all right. I am getting over calendar confusion and, and clustering here and, and just my my love of mma being tested i already cried to you before the podcast i don't go to concerts often but two that i might possibly dive into are both gonna happen the same week that we're gonna go to ufc 278 it is fight week for ufc 277 i am jealous you will be going unfortunately my herniated discs and some treatment needed will not allow me to so i'm going through the motions right now we're gonna have to talk it all out throughout the show i'm about to get some stuff out how are you and how excited are you for the week ahead well i'm depressed now because i just realized how old and busted we are uh i had my gallbladder removed a couple of weeks ago you're still dealing with the herniated disc situation. You're not able to go to 277 with me this week because of that. We're just old and broken down, man. Still fighting to live the dream, though. Oh, i got to ask right off the bat, though. What fight are you most excited for? Before we even start previewing that card, which one are you most excited for? Pena and Nunez. Because if she loses, I don't think we see Nunez again. No, maybe I'm wrong on that. But if she wins... We probably get a third Pena fight, but theoretically, Nunez can be right back where she was before the the, the first loss to, to Pena. So I'm, I'm curious to see because I think, not career-defining because obviously Nunez's legacy is set at this point, but at least the rest of the career, the, the remainder of the career, this is going to determine Amanda Nunez's future. And that is a great place to jump into the conversation but we probably shouldn't do that yet we should probably step back talk about london the ufc second time yeah. this year uk mma is at a high point once again as far as fanfare marketability their notoriety once again getting these faces out there and unfortunately for the second straight week in a row we have a main event that ends way too early from injury. This one even quicker. Right. And, you know, now I do feel a little better because even with our old and bustedness, we could maybe get ourselves a spot in a UFC main event because you're right. Two straight weeks, they end early due to injury. Uh, and in all seriousness, both unfortunate. Uh, this time it's Tom Aspinall in the main event with the knee injury. Curtis Blades gets the win. Um Look, I, I I know a lot of people were disappointed online overall with the card. 
the main card I thought was entertaining enough. Certainly, it's unfortunate when you have a main event in the way that it did, and and I do get the disappointment. But unfortunately, in sports, unfortunately in MMA, sometimes that's what happens. And the worst of luck for UFC: two straight weeks, you get the main event and it ends early. Tom Aspinall landing some leg kicks early and when he plants to come backwards after landing the leg just gives back that's a large athlete trying to plant and back up upon one leg and it didn't work out we have a freak injury Michael Bisbing speculated talking to the doctor that the doctor felt it may have been the MCL because of the pain, because it was the outside of the knee. So at least that's a quicker recovery if it's an MCL versus an ACL. It's an unfortunate incident, and there's not much to be said besides took a bad step, planted on that leg, and something happened, and boom, injury. Really an unfortunate injury for Aspinall. And, you know, I, I know you and I were, were talking Saturday. It was really hard to tell. Was it the kick? Was it when he came back down? But regardless, I guess in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. that The end result was what it was, and it is the knee injury. Uh, we still don't know exactly the extent of that injury. Hopefully it's not an ACL, and it's something he can come back from a little quicker. But you could tell he was in a lot of pain. It's disappointing. Look, I, look, Blades will take the win, no doubt about it. But it's not the way you want to go out and win. It's, it's not the way the fans wanted to see that fight end. But it is what it is. And this is why we hear Dana White always say, we have to see how it plays out. Because yeah. truth be told, if you were the UFC, I wouldn't be surprised if you got into their head, truth serum in the body. They'd like to remake Blades versus Aspinall. I'd be surprised for them to say that they saw enough in that fight that they are confident moving forward. Now, it has played out in such that you would say Blades has progressed. Now, Yair Rodriguez, after the freak accident against Brian Ortega, said he'd like nothing more than to run it back with Ortega. Heck, he'd take the title shot, obviously, but he still wanted to fight Ortega. On the other side, Curtis Blades is like, hey, we had the fight. It played out how it did. Keep it rolling. Keep it moving. I just ranked my spot against a guy below me. That was a risk. Yeah. I'm not taking that risk a second time. And you can't blame a businessman in that aspect. And going in, quite frankly, we were kind of expecting the winner of this fight to meet up with the winner of September 3rd, Tuivasa versus Surreal Gone. At least that was my expectation, so I wouldn't be surprised if you're Curtis Blades that you said, nothing deters that plan. I win, we meet up, we keep moving it forward. No, and look, I think Blades is right on that, especially if this is something that, that's going to be six months, a year or more for Aspinall. Why the hell would Blades sit on the sidelines waiting for that rematch? You know... <clears throat> Regardless of the manner in which he got it, he got the win. And yeah, you, you try, you know, onward and upward, if you will. So I don't really fault him for that. Now, if, and I don't think this is going to be the case, but if it turns out to be a sprain and Aspinall's ready in two months, all right, then maybe you look at running it back, uh, rebooking it. But otherwise, at least for now, I, I think both guys just kind of move on. And the flip side on the worst end, you were expecting the losers to meet up. So 
Aspinall is just in the same place. September 3rd, the loser, I find out who my next assignment is. I don't see them getting that far away from each other, so I don't know if this deviates plans that much. And in hindsight, you're still left with a Tom Aspinall that's not like his chin, his grappling, his cardio, something's in question. There was a freak injury. You want to return to the O2, you want to sell it out again. Tom Aspinall can do it one more time. I don't think this hurts his marketability. Micah, in the co-main event, uh, Jacker Manson gets the unanimous decision over Chris Curtis. This was an interesting fight. From the standpoint, it looked like Hermanson was in there with a guy who took the fight on short notice. It looked like Chris Curtis was a guy who was in there on short notice. Hermanson did what he needed to do. Uh, Curtis got frustrated uh, quite a bit. They had words after the fight. They eventually made up. But, you know, if styles make fights, for whatever reason, this one just didn't quite click. Curtis was the guy on short and yeah. was replacing Darren Till and looked all of it. He was, to credit, able to shut down all of the takedowns. It was a distance battle, really Chris Curtis is most effective at range one and two. We're talking about in in the pocket, in the boxing range. And Hermanson does a great job of when in that one and two range being able to intercept his opponent with a very light but fast jab. It seemed like it was light. It was snappy. It was enough to maybe water the eyes, but not enough to break the nose. That, along with the leg kicks that were a plentiful from range number three, it was a volume and a range game where that body work that Curtis likes to implement was never able to happen you saw a very good job from Hermanson just not being in that range Curtis only landing a third of his strikes usually a lot higher clip Hermanson to his credit gets the victory stifled everything that Curtis wants to do I don't know if that wins you any more fans if it was the kind of performance that forces the UFC matchmakers to want to put you in a bigger spot if Dana White's clamoring to see Hermanson back in a title contention we're talking about the number eight guy in the world that ran a decision over an unranked competitor. Now, Curtis, as we had mentioned it, loved the guy. He was on a hot streak, had everything coming together. But for number eight in the world, did this really get it done in that dominating fashion? If Darren Tell's not ready to go, Andre Muniz is there at number 10 in the world. And I guess we're going grappler against grappler and seeing how that one works out. I think that's what is up next for the Joker. Yeah, I could see that happening. I feel bad for Chris Curtis. Uh, he took the fight on short notice. On it, look, you want to win every fight. I don't know that he cared as much about winning so much as going out and showing what he can do, making a statement, making a splash. And to me, I think that's where a lot of the frustration grew for him during that fight. Um, whether it was Hermanson's style, just Hermanson stifling him, whatever. Curtis wasn't able to do anything, and you could tell he got more and more frustrated, which just made it more and more difficult for him to try to do anything, and Hermanson really controlled that fight. You said it beautifully, and now moving forward, 
you're probably looking outside of the rankings, but hopefully a full camp, and we'll see how Chris Curtis moves forward from this performance, how he's able to get into his range, let his hands go, and put on the fights that he wants to. Where Hermanson, like I said, I just don't think he did anything to gain himself any favor. Well, the name of the game is getting a win. Sometimes you can hurt yourself in this game by just picking up that victory. Would he have been better off just not fighting? You know, Till gets hurt. Let's scrap the fight. Let's rebook it when he's healthy. And look, I realize that's not always the mindset of fighters, and I completely understand that. But to your point, yeah, he got the win, but did it help him at all? And heck, did it maybe actually hurt him just a little bit? That's why I asked the question. If you're Hermanson with the benefit of hindsight and you had it to do over again, would you just say, ah, Let's just sit back and wait for Till to get healthy, and and we'll rebook it. Well, let's just say the UFC was planning out their calendar, and they said the option to go back to the O2 was there in four months, and they had to call up two guys. They're calling up Tom Aspinall, and they're saying, are you going to be healthy? Tom says no. The second call is to Darren Till. Even if Darren Till says he is healthy, I don't know if you're doing Till Hermanson as a main event off of that performance. You say it left a bad taste in the mouth of the fans, not aggressive enough, not impactful enough, talking about the whole damaging aspect of the judging factor. It seemed that we were lacking there. It's more likely that Patty Plimblett will bring him up next, that he would get a headlining opportunity over Jack Hermanson. Plimblett able to survive the grappling exchanges in the first round. In the second round, credit where credit's due, a beautiful job of trapping the left arm, mm-hmm. gets the rear naked choke. It's a five-fight win streak now for Pimblet, who's a rock star. I didn't expect for pa- for Molly McCann's lower body to be that strong to be hoisting Pimblet <laughs> up <laughs> and marching him around the arena. Let's give a giant congratulations to the UFC matchmakers. Uh, Patty Pimblet, Molly Molly McCann, both of them getting the victories, doing it in spectacular fashion, giving that crowd the payoff, the delight that they deserve and needed, that mm-hmm. they paid for for their entertainment. So do you have a budding star in that part of the world in Patty Pimblet? Yep. Quite possibly. Mm-hmm. They're in Europe, in the UK. We now need to see, as everyone speculated, how that translates at UFC 281 to U.S. marketability. Is there really any doubt how that's going to translate, at least at least as long as he keeps winning now, if he goes out and lays an egg? That's the question, though. Who do they put him against? There, there's a, many a guy on a win streak. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. 
Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There's not many guys, though, that the UFC acknowledges a five-fight win streak for Patty. Dude, you're counting Cage Warrior stuff. Yeah. The UFC doesn't do that unless they're already trying to build you. And here's been my whole thing. I don't care about the guy they're trying to build. I care about the guys that are already here. Adrian Yanez is knocking fools cold left and right four-fight win streak. He's not selling out the UK. He's not selling out Texas like Patty's selling out the UK. So I don't want to make it a negative that they are taking care of him, that they want to give him the opportunities to succeed. It's just a shame that everybody's not given that. And in the deepest division in MMA, you look at it, there's over 150 guys on the UFC roster at 155 pounds. When do we get past mediocre grapplers for Patty Pimblett? He's becoming a star. He is right there. But quality of victories is not equivalent to the fandom and the momentum of his marketability. I am worried that one day he's going to get face-planted because he's he's not getting tested in the correct manner. If it's a guy they want to push, does quality of victories really matter? And look, I'm not saying it shouldn't because I don't, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I put it like this. I, I think UFC learned a lot with Sage Northcutt, um, with maybe a few others. You want to push these younger fighters, these budding stars. I, we're seeing it with Sean O'Malley, although he's stepping up to, to a much bigger test for his next fight. But, yeah, look, I don't think you're wrong at all. I just don't think right now, and now at some point it's going to have to be an issue, right? Because to take that next step to to – get into title contention, you're going to have to fight better fighters. And at some point in time, it's sink or swim. But right now, if you're UFC, aren't you just writing this for all it's worth, whether it's an O'Malley, whether it's Patty Pimblett, whether it's a guy like that, because the fans certainly gravitate like it or not to, to those guys. And you're marketing the heck out of them at the moment. I do understand what you're saying, but, but again, one of my hesitations with being on the paddy wagon is the fact that he's been in the game for a decade already yeah. as a professional, as a professional fighter. He's a decade in. That's wear and tear. That's some time. It, it's not this man has a cute 19-3 and three record, 22 fights into his career. How many fights does Conor McGregor actually have on his record? Patty is not that far behind Conor McGregor. As we talk about young, marketable stars, he is 27 years old. That's not old, but that's not incredibly young. We're talking yeah. about eight years away from... How old is he? I, I, this weekend, 
Jeffrey Topic, XMMA regional main event, Luis Pena, Will Brooks. Will Brooks is 35 years old. We're talking about his last gasp effort. Micah, don't put Patty in that same category. He just got to the UFC. Yet he just got to the UFC, and by 35, he will not even be as far into his career now with the UFC as he's into his MMA career currently. He's already a decade in. This is what I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. When is the time to jump on him taking yeah. on tougher competition? When is he going to be ready for the biggest and the baddest of the division when Kazula Vargas, love you, dude. I mean, honestly, he'd wreck me in a fight. I've hung out with the guy before, a great dude. 16 fights into his career. A good grappler, not great. Jordan Lovett. Only 11 fights into his career. We're actually getting a less experienced opponent who is a grappling specialist who I said was kind of light-handed. And yes, Pimblet puts together a moment. That is great to see. But do we feel like he's beating fighters that are leading everywhere? Do you feel like this is going somewhere like, are we really going to pay to watch CM Punk versus Patty Pimblett on pay-per-view? Because I don't know what the right opponent is for him. Like, I understand where the paddy wagon is going, but it's not equivalent exchange up here. All of a sudden, you're going to tell me that there's a guy that just lost in the fight pass prelims that Patty's going to take on on a pay-per-view card? Yes, because you love Patty. That's, that's not really how we do pay-per-view cards. Uh, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Look, I I agree with you. Let me ask you this, though. And I'm just throwing this out there. Does the goal of every fighter have to be titles? No, but it's making money, and, yeah. and that's where... But he's making... Well, okay, he's not making... He's probably he's not making money after yet. his right, first right. fight that he needed more yeah. money. So we right. know they did not redo this right. contract. He wants to be on pay-per-view because he needs yeah. to sell out a bigger arena. So can you make money without taking the biggest fights? Yeah, but that's where you get the diminishing return because the UFC already said, dude, you maxed out selling out the O2. Now we got to go take you to New York. And now you have to sell that shtick to a whole different fan base. And by the way, we haven't even got to his post-fight interview. Some great shit there. Can't even speak bad about anything there. By the way, why did UFC need need to, and maybe they didn't, but why did they need to see him sell out the O2 arena? Wasn't he doing that before he got to UFC? Well, with why cage are they warriors? having him fight guys with yeah. less experience than he fought in some of his cage warrior title fights? Well, they're trying yeah. to protect an asset and they're trying to groom it and build him up in their particular way that they want to market him. None of that is a bad thing. It just leaves a lot of questions to behold about him. Now, he is obviously on a trajectory up and Alexander Gustafson, it feels like, is on a trajectory out. Let's skip Gustafson and Krylov for just a second because we'll just go ahead and piggyback Molly McCann with, with, with Patty because... Hell, that's what everybody else does. McCann, I thought, looked really, really good. She gets the the easy win over Hannah Goldie. Do you feel the same about Molly McCann as you do Patty Pimblett? I feel that Molly McCann has 100 million percent benefit of her being right there next to Patty Pimblett. I don't know what turned around in 2021, but heading into the fight with Gian Kim, there was two straight losses. McCann has now found her way about her, and honestly, it's... it's been in the UFC since she lost to Talia Santos. She hasn't fought a opponent with the same experience as her. Hannah 
Goldie, I thought, was a one-dimensional grappler. She got exposed for not having striking. It's a three-fight win streak, so McCann has benefited. There are a lot of questions about her because of the losses before. A very strategic call-out. Many have went to it before. She called out Antonita Shevchenko, who isn't even ranked. So if you want to go with that direction, I, I guess you can at this point. I don't hate what she's doing. I just feel that there is still some parts of her game that are left to be opened. And since she's become more of a media darling, these last two matchups have been a bit more in her favor, it feels like. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right. Alexander Gustafson, after the long layoff, taking on Nikita Krylov. Krylov wins, makes it look easy. I don't want to shortchange Nikita at all, and we can talk about his win in a second. But I think the big story coming out of this, it's got to be Gustafson, again, after the long layoff, a less than stellar performance, and I think I'm being really kind when I say that. If you're UFC, what do you do with Alexander Gustafson? Hell, if you're Gustafson, what do you want to do? After this point, because I don't think he did himself any favors on Saturday. Total sidebar here real quick. Mm -hmm. When they announced Alexander Gustafson to the crowd, they answered the question for us. Because we kind of had this debate when we were out there during International Fight Week. Cub Swanson is getting inducted for a fight. Does that make Cub Swanson a Hall of Famer? Well, the UFC did have Alexander Gustafson announced as UFC Hall of Famer. So right. we now know if you go in for a fight that you are a Hall of Famer. So that almost changes the Hall of Fame process for me for where, you know, John Jones, Gustafson, they're already in the Hall of Fame, and we were there honoring for that night. And I felt like that night we honored him for that fight. And now that we have this recognition, it's just a more general notoriety that, hey, this is their Hall of Fame induction. We're never going to see this again. This is the one night when they're going in for that fight. It's them going in. Uh, so Gustafson's a Hall of Famer. Swanson's a Hall of Famer. I just felt like I got some clarity hearing him announce like it. And that just puts it into a, another perspective when they get that recognition for a fight. How we need to handle it as the media. Now, on the other side, I just don't think that Gustafson has the punch resistance anymore. It doesn't look like it. He couldn't read the speed. The overhand right clobbered him into the clinch. The knees are getting him, swarming with punches. The high kick, a left hook, and down goes Gustafson from that beautiful punch in the clinch. The ground strikes take care of it. He will go down in history to this point as the greatest Swedish fighter in UFC history, already a hall of famer. He had already retired. Um, and I just don't think that the comeback has proven to be a good idea that the punch resistance is not there. And quite possibly maybe the game is past Gustafson by this all feel like really mean things to say, but it just doesn't look like he has it right now. Unfortunately, I have a question for you. Who's the second greatest Swedish fighter of all time. It might be Panny Kinzad at this point. She's still working there in the women's bantamweight division. And it depends on how many countries Hamzat Chimaev ends up claiming throughout <laughs> his career because he is Chechnyan. We know yeah. he likes to hang out with some other, you know, countries. And then he also does train there at All-Stars in Sweden for a long time under Reza Madadi there with Gustafsson. So quite possibly Hamzat might get in there um, and then just outside, if you're wondering, there is in PFL, uh, Saidabusi, who is another pretty talented Swedish MMA fighter. Yep. As far as Krylov, 
looking at the rankings, it, it doesn't look like this win really helped him. Um, if you're UFC, what, what do you do with him next? I think he already called out to take on Vulcan Uzdemir and UFC Abu Dhabi coming up at UFC 280. Why not? I'm like, yeah. just why, why, not? why not? Okay. I that's, like it. that's a why not. They're close enough to each other in the rankings. It's not like, we'll get to it real quick. It's not like Paul Craig with his 1990s trying to get on that what Damian Maya half. What was he doing? Guard. Uh, most of yeah. us expected him to get into a bit of a war and just be able to then take down Vulcan Uzdemir and get the submission because kind of what Paul Craig does, but he just left out the getting the war part and fell to his back, and I don't know what that was, but Uzdemir probably doesn't take a giant step up, so if you want to do Vulcan Uzdemir versus Nikita Krylov, that's 9 versus 11. I don't know. if Why not? Yeah. Like we said, put that one, UFC 280, there. If you're Paul Craig, and, and look, I, I'm not a fighter, so... I want to be fair and not be overly critical. But I'll be critical. This was a bad okay. idea. Help me out here because as I remember last week in the lead up to this fight, Paul Craig was talking some shit, right? Dude, he was talking some shit. He was heated. He kept getting in the right. face. Paul Craig is one of these guys that he is totally into the psychological warfare and that has no, no comprehension to what he's actually going to do when right. you get in the octagon. So you get in the octagon and you spend most of the time laying on your back like a turtle hoping that Ozdemir will, will engage you. I, it was like, and, and now look, I, I think Ryan Hall does a much better job with it, and, and you know that's his style, but it's it's like he was taking a page out of the Ryan Hall playbook here. I, I, I'm going to roll around, I'm going to lay on my back, and, and hopefully I, I can get Ozdemir on the ground here. I, I just, this seemed like a terrible game plan for a guy who was coming in with he was what on a four five fight win, uh, fight win streak whatever it was he had some momentum he was talking shit and he goes out and willingly spends the majority of the fight laying on his back I, I don't I don't understand that logic I don't remember what cartoon I was watching but the guy literally said I can defend myself I knew jujitsu he threw himself on the floor and he said now get on top of me. <laughs> and it seemed like that's what Paul and, and, and was that's doing. great if somebody's willing to get on top of you but if they're not then what. What happened to the wrestling? What happened to the punching? Uh, Paul Craig. Dude, stock way down on him. That was one of the worst performances of his career and did no favors in the matchmaking realm. And I can't believe we even spent as long as we did talking about that. We should definitely move on from great. it. Yeah. Uh, Mark DeCasey gets a decision win over Demir Hazich. 13 minutes and 30 seconds of top time. The commentary team was very critical for the lack of killer instinct from Mark DeCasey for having his pressure. I am sure that Daniel Cormier is going to have a bone to pick with his commentary team that nobody was giving the respect to the wrestling. One, two, Mark DeCasey is not the fighter he once was, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. He's on a win streak now. He's starting to utilize his grappling. He's a big athlete. We now know that he has multiple skills. He can strike and grapple, but unfortunately it seems like he only does one or the other in a fight, and I don't know how we've talked about Patty Pimblett becoming a star and doing things that are exciting. Mark DeCasey has been in the UFC four times as long. And I don't know if he's helping himself get to that echelon of notoriety where we want to see him in bigger fights. Yeah. 
I think I'm going to have a aneurysm if we break down every fight on the prelims. But but let me say this about the prelims. I'm not going to do every one, but there was so, like four I wanted to touch okay. on. Have there ever been longer prelims in the history of UFC? Those freaking prelims went on forever. And, and look, it was obvious at some point in time, if there were plans on keeping things on time, but those went out the window, maybe they just didn't care in the first place because it, this was... You fight know, pass. Uh, right, uh, all on plus, all and, plus. and fight pass and, and all that. But Jesus, I, it was painful how long those prelims went, man. Forever. I thought you were asleep. You weren't answering my text messages at a point. I, I checked out a couple of times. I'll be honest. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Nathaniel would look fast. He looked crisp. His hooks, his in and out movement took apart Charles Rosa. I don't know. Do you think that Nathaniel Wood looks like he has the size to be competitive at 145 pounds is my question. He looked good there. He looked fast against Rosa, but I'm worried that it's not going to work out well for him once he gets to some of the bigger competition because he didn't agree. look to have the sting on his punches. No, I, I think you're, you're 100% right on that. Jonathan Pierce did impress me in that wild, wild wrestling match with Maquan Minakani. Uh Pierce is somebody to watch, I think, moving forward with his grit and his tenacity. Got the takedowns, knees. It was a bloody finish. I love the way he was defending the takedowns with those elbows. And Mohamed Mokayev, he is getting relentlessly taken apart also on social media. I think he was like 12 of 24 on takedowns and just would not stop grinding on Charles Johnson. But he keeps moving it forward. 8-0 as a professional, 23-0 as an amateur. I don't know if he won any fans, but he has done nothing to deter my belief that we're going to see that kid fighting for a world title sooner than later. All right, Mike, and now's probably as good a time as any. I, I guess I should issue an apology here because I was just complaining about how long and drawn out and boring the prelims were for, for <laughs> UFC London. I want to apologize for that because 
compared to the Bellator main card on main Friday, card? the freaking the UFC prelims were, were like pay per view quality. I, 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 I hate right? I hate crapping all over Bellator, but man, they make it easy. That was an incredibly disappointing card to me. Yeah, you, you know your main event. Who the hell knows what's next for for Lima? Uh, you have weight cut issues. I, I just there was nothing on this card that really excited me, and that's disappointing because we hadn't seen Bellator in a while. It was good to have him back until we got into the action, and then you realize why after a couple of weeks you don't really miss them when they're gone. Main event, as we said, was this the walking the plank moment? Was this the swan song for Douglas Lima? He then misses weight yeah. on top of it all and just gave forth no real I, I, aggression, no intensity. There was no desire to get that victory as he was put on his back for the majority of five rounds. You feel like the next time we see Douglas Lima, he's going to be losing back-to-back fights in the PFL? It very well could be if he yeah. even continues. I, I don't know who said it, but somebody said he kind of looked like Conor McGregor where Lima got that million-dollar payday, and we haven't seen him win since, and he might have just lost the love for getting up on the grind. Now, we also have to give some respect to the guy that goes all in, puts the chips in the middle, risks everything, doubles down on that shit, and then gets knocked out in 27 seconds. <laughs> Sydney Outlaw is no longer the number one one contender in the Bellator lightweight division. This is Bellator. He might be. uh, (laughs) Tufik Musayev gets the knockout, wobbles with a right hook, left hook. Outlaw goes down. It's over. And now Usman Nurmagomedov, 15-0, a fight before with his first round rear naked choke of Chris Gonzalez had Habib. His cousin translates and say, I want the title. So, Patricky, when you're healthy, I'm pretty sure Usman Nurmagomedov is going to be next up. And I don't know if we see that kid relinquish the belt for quite a while. Also dynamic, wrestling, spinning yeah. strikes, threatening submissions. Yeah. Maybe that was the problem with this card, that there wasn't a pit bull on it. Hey, but there was a Nurmagomedov, and that's all the excitement well, you need. Lorenz Larkin, unfortunately, a no contest there. Elbows to the back of the head. Davian Franklin suffers his first professional loss. Marcelo Gome gets the rear naked choke victory. A learning moment for my friend Davion. I believe he's going to come back better from this one. Sometimes you just have to understand what it's like to be as tired as possible in there. You have to see different things no matter what you see in the gym sometimes you get used to it and an outsider a new opponent is going to hit you with something that you didn't expect come out on top i still believe that we're looking at a future bellator heavyweight champion and on the prelims i know you can't wait to sink your teeth into those carlisle dalton rosa does prove to be the next big prospect at middleweight Literally getting into the clinch, overwhelming Romero Cotton with punches, even hitting with the right Superman punch, a little bit of GSP in there, and the left hook got the knockout. Veta Ortega, she picks up the biggest win in her career from going from looking like a meme as a soccer mom to Ortega submits 
MMA stalwart 33 fight vet Vanessa Porto. I was sure when Porto signed from Invicta coming over to Bellator that we would eventually see her in a flyweight title fight. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. And if you're looking for who may be the next big prospect in Bellator's welterweight division, Roman Farlow keeps it going. A straight left hook, a first round knockout, eight knockouts. 8-0 for the ATT prospect. He did it against an only an 8-2 fighter. So are we to the quality of wins yet? No, but he's racking up the quantity that hopefully here soon we'll see him getting tested on a Bellator main card. But Roman is somebody to keep watching. I hate you. Why? Because you want me to get to LFA, Victor? <laughs> no, What's it's next? bad enough I had to sit through the Bellator main card, and then you made me sit through your recap of the prelims. Oh, yeah, and earlier in the day, we also <laughs> had... You had Renner Day Ryder at one championship defending and retaining his one middleweight title, inverted triangle choke, getting on put on his back after a transition, but he's able to submit Vidali Big Dash, putting him to sleep. And if you also recall earlier in the week, people, we had Invicta FC action. Mm -hmm. Tisha Tennant is still the women's Bantamweight champion. It was a split decision. Her straight rights and inside low kicks made the difference in defeating Olga Rubin. You also had a great finish as Christina Williams gets the rear naked choke victory over... Uh, Lena Plincia. It was a right hook knockdown. Take the back. Get the rear naked choke. Also a great choke from uh, Amber Liebrook as Morgan Farah messed up the lateral drop. I hate that takedown because you sacrifice. It's cool if you get in a half guard when you throw your pro uh, opponent over. But if they just land on top of you and you have to give your back and you get submitted by a rear naked choke, it doesn't look as cool. So we had Invicta this week. We had some Bellator. We had one championship. We had UFC. And I think that was finally. Oh, yeah. And there was that XMMA card. Right. I didn't write results on that one for Gage Minds. We have all the other events up. But that XMMA card, if you wanted to check that out, YouTube still to watch it back. Yeah. And Bellator, by the way, back in action sooner rather than later, which maybe it is better when they take longer times between cars but they'll be back uh august 12th that's a friday night in sioux falls south dakota so, so you're saying we still got a couple weeks before we break down that card yeah ex yes at least m maybe we'll put it off even longer the pfl will actually be back before yeah we see uh that bellator card and one other card real quick that i want to touch on but we're not going to really fully because it's happening. Well, tonight as we're recording, it's happening. You do got the contender series. Dana White's contender series is back. And if you were looking forward to watching tonight, Ozzy Diaz in the main event is the guy that I have heard actually the most about coming in at seven and one. So if you're listening and you had it, the Contender Series back. Go check it out. Main event, most talked about fight on the card. We actually had a guy. Not the most card. Yeah, I say the most talked about fight on the card was the dude that missed weight by ten pounds. But how are you going to do that? How are you right. gonna, How are you going to miss weight by ten pounds for a Contender Series? This is your chance to go fight for a contract to impress Dana White and get a UFC deal. Who the hell do you think you're impressing other than McDonald's by stepping on the scales ten pounds overweight? 
coming in at 145 for a 135 fight. Obviously not going to be seeing any more of Daniel Souza there in the UFC. Hey, we have some names like Chris Duncan, a Bellator fighter returning for his second time in the Contender Series coming up here. So if you're looking, you're going to see a lot of names from Bellator, from the PFL, from LFA, from Fury FC. If you're a fight passaholic, here's where the payoff comes is the Contender Series. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Let's do get into some news here before we get into UFC 277. Good a place to start as any. Right after we got through recording last week, the word came down. Nate Diaz finally gets his last UFC fight, at least for now, the last one on that contract before he goes off and boxes a Paul brother or whatever he's going to do. UFC really not doing him any favors, though. Chimayov and Diaz, UFC 279, September 10th. I can kind of go back and forth on this, the question I'm going to ask you here, Micah. Did UFC owe Nate Diaz better than this? He's done a lot for this company. He's been very successful. Do you put him in a more advantageous fight for his final fight? Or do you just look at it as he's whining, complaining, he wants out, he's going to go do something else, screw it. We're going to put him in a situation where we can give somebody else the rub by going out and beating Nate Diaz. UFC is trying to give Chimaev the rub to superstardom because let's be honest, this is almost a step back in competition for Chimaev. Chimaev is coming off of a win over Gilbert Burns. Easily would have Gilbert Burns as a major favorite in a fight with Nate Diaz. Here we go, though. Nate Diaz is one of three fighters, maybe, that we would consider a non-champion pay-per-view draw. And what is the most important position in MMA that a fighter could have? Pay-per-view drawing power. Pay-per-view drawing power. Conor McGregor wears the tiara of power because he is the draw. What does the UFC need? The UFC needs a draw. 
I have other shows that I'm a part of where people ask me, Micah, who's the next big star in the UFC? That's all they need to know. Who is the next star? Well, and you could see it on one hand, the three guys that the UFC is rolling the dice on. Patty Pimblett. There's a, a rainbow, rainbow-haired man that we are about to talk about probably in this conversation. And there is Hamza Chimaev. Hamza Chimaev, they're going to try to get him that allure and that luster. His mission is to seek and destroy and maul Nate Diaz in an impressive fashion that catapults him into the succession of draw. Puts on the kind of fight that fans remember or the finish that scares people in their sleep. Chimaev has already promised a burial and a UFC funeral for Nate Diaz. Maybe he's playing up a little too much of the Israel Odyssey. I would say, is, is he going to come out with the Undertaker music? Like, like uh, Maybe he comes out like Kane and he <laughs> sets him on fire. We'll see what happens. Hey, if you like pro wrestling talk, check out our other show here on the After Hours Podcast Network. Pro can, wrestling After Hours. He can be the American badass Undertaker. He can come out to Kid Rock. The Chechnyan badass? Hey, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. He, he oh, could be yeah, the American yeah. badass. But yeah, 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 yeah. So it's a big opportunity for Hamza Chimaev, who reportedly was already given the opportunity to just sit by and wait for the winner of Usman Edwards. Coming off of the win over Gilbert Burns, you expected a title fight, Colby Covington. Those were two of the viable options. This is the build the brand option. This is the build the star option option and for Diaz it's just the way out Diaz wants to fight he literally is not scared of anybody and he is desperately trying to get out of this contract because this fight does not matter to him right if now, he felt he had opportunity to make money this would be the Conor McGregor fight right right yeah for sure now look we've got plenty of time to, to break this one down between now and September 10th but let me just throw this out there now what if what if Nate Diaz fucks up everybody's plans, and goes out and finishes Chimaev. Then the UFC will have pulled a big, big mistake. And I still don't think that the finances will put in a place where Jake Paul is going to offer less money to Nate Diaz than what Dana White will be. It's always yeah. going to be better to go fight Jake Paul. That happens. And the UFC will have betted and lost. But Dana White and company are very wise. We talked about how they're handling Patty, how they're handling Molly now that they wanted to. I think that they understand this is an advantageous position for Hamza. And this for will be sure. a major upset. But like you said, what if he shocks the world? What if he does it? Could you imagine the music video that Nate and Jake are going to, or YouTube video, excuse me, not yeah. music video, but the YouTube video they're going to come out with? Now, if he knocks out yeah. Hamzat, if yeah. he submits Hamzat, if he puts Hamzat to sleep, if he forces Hamzat to tap, could you imagine yeah. the insanity that's going to break through? Yeah, now, and, and look, the, like you alluded to, there's a reason UFC made this fight, and and no doubt the expectation is Chimaev's going to go in there and take care of business, and I do think it's more likely than not that he does. However, depending on if Nate has the mindset of, all right, one more, and then I'm going to get a payday, maybe he doesn't care one way or the other. But if Nate's got the mindset of, yeah, get through this one, and I'm going to get a payday, but in the meanwhile, screw you, UFC. I'm going to go wreck your plans. And he comes in motivated. It wouldn't be the biggest shock in the world to see Diaz go out and put on 
a great performance and get the win. Again, I don't think it happens because I think Nate's got his eye on a bigger prize. And regardless of what happens in this fight, it's not going to affect his payday for a potential boxing match against Jake Paul. But look, Nate Diaz will stand there and take three punches to, to land one. Hell, he'll take five punches to land one. That strategy gets him in a lot of trouble. But every now and again, it works out as well. I don't expect that to happen here. But if it does, it, it not only does it derail, at least for the time being, UFC's plans with Chimaev, but Nate Diaz is out the door. And you don't get to, ca- to capitalize on that, whether it's a rematch with Chimaev, whether it's another McGregor fight, whether it's something else. And, and like you mentioned, this is one of your bigger box office draws that that's walking out the door after this car. I mean, hell, this is the main event. It's a non-title fight. We'll see how they finish stacking up this card. It doesn't look like it's going to be a super card, but my guess is you're going to get a really good buy rate out of this, uh, A, because of this matchup, and B, because of Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz can mess everything up with a go-go plata, with a guillotine choke. But on the negative side, going against Nate Diaz, Chimaev is a big wrestler. Big wrestlers have oh, yeah. been able to stifle Diaz even at 55. And this is a large man. And Chimaev, whose aspirations of becoming a two-division champion, of getting the belt at 70 and going up and doing the same at 85. He can take a punch, as we saw against Gilbert Burns, and he delivers heavy, damaging strikes that, unfortunately for Diaz, will bust up that face and we'll have a Diaz that's a bloody mess just because that's what kind of happens every Diaz fight all that built up scar tissue all that wear and tear he blinks too hard he's bleeding there's a lot of reasons to like Chimaev in this fight and there's a lot of reasons to wonder how much tickets are going to be for this card if you go look Topology has nine fights listed right now and the fight i am most excited for outside of that main event is johnny walker versus ian kuntilaba and yeah that's listed as an early prelim heck we got the michael carlisle special i don't care what fight is booked for here i know that nothing is going to entertain you more than if we are there live and you get to see chris barnett versus jake collier that that is a slobber knocker special Literally, because they'll be slobbering because they're out of breath. Yes, yes. But outside of those fights, when you look at this, and again, we're we're nine fights deep. What are we talking about? Three, four more fights getting into the card. And you're wondering. They're not loading this card up. Yeah, so so either you're depending on Diaz to sell this fight, or you don't really care about this card. And, And... Look, UFC doesn't do anything without the intention of making money, so I think they care at least some. But could there also be a little bit of, well, if the pay-per-view buys are down a little bit, we can use this to justify why we're not giving Diaz more money and we're letting him walk because he's not as big a draw as he thinks he is. I I don't know what the thing of the UFC yeah. is. I can understand the exact avenue that you are taking us on this cruise down, but I just don't understand why they would want to do anything to hurt the popularity of Chimaev. As you feel like he's going to be the beneficiary of this, you would want to stack up the card a little bit more. But I'm also wondering if we're just seeing the trajectory 
of the UFC maybe caring a little bit less because you can see the faces of the company are changing and we are trending towards a more Middle Eastern based product with who we are seeing at the top of quite a few of these divisions. And we're seeing that with, do we want to get into talking about the other mega announcements where you're saying this card doesn't look that great for some reason, a card that many of us will not be at uh, all the way in Abu Dhabi, UFC 280. This might be card of the year. It could very well be card of the year. And, yeah, we can jump into that because I did want to bring up Sean O'Malley. You talk about guys taking a step up in competition, and it's something we've been talking about that O'Malley needs to do for a while. We just talked about it a little while ago with Patty Pimblett. But O'Malley is going to be taking on uh, Peter Yan on this card. Um, that is a huge step up in competition for O'Malley. And, look, personally, I'm surprised. I, I'm surprised. I, I don't necessarily think this is going to go well for Sean O'Malley, but if it does, he goes out and makes a statement and a lot of the O'Malley fans are vindicated and a lot of the Sean O'Malley haters have to eat some crow. So it's look, it's not going to determine define his career or anything. But again, like I said earlier, at least for the time being, this is a statement fight for Sean O'Malley coming up. I am surprised that this fight is made because I'm surprised that the UFC is going in the trajectory of 13 versus 2. That you are giving Sean O'Malley the former world champion. The expectation then here is O'Malley is positioning himself as the number one contender. We have coming up at the car that we want to attend in Utah, UFC 278, Jose Aldo versus Marab Davishvili. On the card that at UFC 280, there's already Algermain Sterling, TJ Dillashaw. Sterling has talked about vacating that bantamweight title so that Davish Philly can get his opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's his man. That's his number one training partner. They got that Kane in DC thing going on. They ain't trying to fight each other. I can respect that ish, but it doesn't look like the UFC's buying in because. If you're doing O'Malley versus Yawn, I think you're giving O'Malley that pathway. Dude, sneak right into the title. And then are you trying to tempt Sterling by saying, by saying, hey, you're fighting O'Malley? This is a dangerous fight for O'Malley. It's a dangerous fight for Yawn. Yawn has to worry about the kicking game, the length. He has to get inside. But once he does, I feel like it's bombs away. He doesn't have to worry about the grappling threat against O'Malley that he had to worry about against Sterling. So it's so intriguing. And how detrimental to to Peter Yawn would a third loss in a well, uh, losing three out of four be and taking a loss to O'Malley? Like that that's plummeting. That's the ceiling fault. This that's the yeah, that is the floor yeah. falling out on everything that he has built of this empire. That's on the cusp of falling out of the top 15. It's some real interesting matchmaking where you feel like we've seen this kind of thing from the UFC, the young upstart, the former champion. But I feel like Peter Yan isn't as vulnerable as guys that we normally see put in this position. Yeah, uh, that'll be interesting for sure. This whole card, and you're right, they're they're loading up for, for Fight Island here. I assume we're going to get resolution to the lightweight title. We'll see. Uh, but you also got uh, Law Muhammad, Sean Brady. Oh, that is such uh, a good fight. Dariusha and Gamrot, which you can't help but feel like is there in case somebody doesn't make weight for that main event. 
And how bad do you feel for Benil Dariush? Okay, let's talk about it. Can you break the glass ceiling? Can you grab the brass ring? There were these murmurs, these rumors, and they all speculated towards Benil Dariush, Michael Chandler, Benil Dariush, Dustin Poirier. How do you get into the top five if they don't allow you in? Okay, I am so glad you asked this because here's what I'm going to tell you. And there's more than one way to make a name for yourself. But whenever you see someone who seems to be a bit more style over substance, whether it's rainbow-colored hair, whether it's your Beatles mop top, whether it's your own line of Irish whiskey, whatever, whatever, this is why. Benil Dariush is as good a lightweight as anybody in the world. He's currently ranked sixth. You would have to try really hard. To make an argument, he shouldn't be in line for a title shot. But he always seems to find himself on the outside looking in. And if you want to break it down and try to come up with a reason why that is, it's not because of his skills. It's not because of his work in the cage. Benil Dariush might not be flashy enough. Now, now look, at some point in time, we all like to think the cream rises to the top. And if you keep going out and taking care of business, you will be rewarded at some point. And hopefully that's the case. But if Benil Dariush had four different colors in his hair, if he had his own line of whiskey, if he talked a lot of shit, He'd have probably already had that title shot, Micah. Uh, agree or disagree with that? It's a seven-fight win streak. He should be respected. Yes! But you are totally right. He's too soft-spoken. Unfortunately, the most interesting man in the world. Look, because I know you love the salt and pepper he was rocking on the red carpet. Dude, the red carpet fight, We he had the hair going. He looked like George Cloney. Suave. He did. He looked. Yes, he could have been on the cover of GQ. He he looked like <laughs> the guy that is out there Sunday morning next to Clay Thompson getting their boats ready. On the <laughs> he looked like that kind yep. of swashbuckler. But yes, but he is not respected, and it's a hard way now I'm gonna fight down against Matthias Gamrot just because apparently it looks like Chandler's gonna fight Poirier. We don't know what's going on with Gaethje, so the top five is just not moving. But also on this card, you do have what, what would appear to be a number one contenders bout in the women's strawweight division as Marina Rodriguez is going to be taking on Amanda Lemoyche. And I'm also seeing a rumor that they may be moving Caitlin Shikagian, Mana Fiore from right. the September 3rd card to this card. So where UFC 279, we're like, I don't know where is the, the tantalizing main card fights. UFC 280 is they're, a buffet right of watch this shit from the early prelims. <laughs> right, yeah, they're all on Fight Island at the next pay-per-view. Real quick, but back on, on the Dariush thing, I'm not also saying that he should go out and start talking shit to everybody or, or dye his hair four different colors, but I bring that up because whenever people are quit, uh, critical of fighters who talk a lot of trash, who do have the style over substance a little bit, I that always irks me. Not because the people who are saying that stuff are wrong, because I totally get where they're coming from, but there is more than one way to get yourself over and get yourself in the best position possible. And if Dariush was more more naturally that type of guy, I have no doubts he'd have already had a title shot. It may well be champ. Again, I'm not saying the way he's done it is wrong, 
As a matter of fact, that I think that's one of the reasons the people who like Dariush do like him, because he doesn't talk a lot of trash. He, he, he goes out and takes care of business. He's a respectful guy, and, and, and he backs it up when he gets into the cage. So I, let me be clear. I'm not in any way saying that Dariush has taken a, a wrong career path somewhere along the way. Not, not at all. But when you see guys who do go out and they are more style over substance, there's a reason why, because if all things are equal or, or somebody's on the fence one way or the other, and you're more outspoken, you're more out there because that's going to get you more follows on social media. Sometimes that can be a difference maker. This all translates down to, hey guys, Sean O'Malley's fighting. 100 people want to run up to buy tickets. Yeah. Hey, Benil Dariush is fighting. 15 people are running to buy tickets. And that's because of how the personality has yeah. translated and how the people have attached to him. That's, as you said, it's the it's the style over the substance. So in yeah. thinking about that, I am totally anti-style over substance. Let's remind you guys, Benil yeah. Dariush is on a seven-fight win streak. And these are wins over guys like Tiago Moises, yeah. Drew Dober, Dakar Close, Scott Holtzman. He's got arm bars. He's got flying knees. He's got spinning right. back fists, rear naked chokes. And the reason why I wanted to bring all this up is because we wasted too much time talking about Sean O'Malley and Patty Plimblett. And I don't need us to be like, and I'm, I am got to apologize, Carlo. I don't need us to be like every other podcast. I know that Connor, Patty, uh, Sean O'Malley. I know that our producers have put that in front of me and I need to say that at least every 20 minutes to <laughs> keep our followers going up because it's proven, it's proven that if we can put those in our hashtags that we get more yeah. views because that's what you guys want. But I need to be substance, so we need to recognize, and I'm going to make us do it more, a Benil Dariush. He may not be as loud. He may not be as boisterous. Well, but he wins fights. Right. And here's the thing. And, and I think you were hundred percent spot on. You say, all right, Sean O'Malley's fighting hundred people go out and buy tickets. You say Benil Dariush is fighting 15, 20 people go out and buy tickets. Which one is the more sure bet that's going to give you an entertaining fight? It's Benil Dariush. You just went down the list. I can't off the top of my head. Think of the last time Dariush has had a clunker win or lose. You go back and look at O'Malley and I'm not shitting on O'Malley either, but whether it's eye pokes, whether it's leg injuries, whether it's this or that, yeah, you do get a lot of style going into those fights. He's all the press conferences and media scrums are going to be entertaining. But if the name of the game is what you do inside the cage, it's you're rolling the dice. Once the cage door closes, that's not the case with Dariush. He's always going to bring it. He's always going to deliver. We are totally off topic, and I'm going to take us even further Please. off topic. And I may yes. be making too great of a generalization, but but let's name some of the guys with the big personalities. Connor, right? Yeah. And Sean. I'm going to throw Israel Adesanya in there. He is a big personality. Yeah. Um, Chow Sutton, a big personality. Uh, Coley Covington, a big personality. Yeah. Are you starting to notice the similarity? And I'm not talking about the personalities. I'm not talking about the way they present themselves. Even I may, you know, use a D in a bag and a word to kind of categorize how some of those guys act. What I'm saying is the three dudes that are strikers all seem to be counter strikers. And the two dudes that are wrestlers don't have the highest finish rates. Does it feel yeah. like as we talk about it, the guys that have the flash kind of put forward the flash a little bit more when they need to because 
Robbie Lawler ain't never needed to do not none of this, right? right. He just kind of mercs dudes. And it's one of those things. I might be making too great of a generality, but it seems like there's a certain kind of fighter that also tends to be a little more boisterous. It seems to be a counter-striker who wants to annoy his opponent into necessarily needing him to attack and come forward because he's that's a way to create an opening, yeah. to create the circumstance you're looking for in the fight. I tell you what, Micah, one of these days, we'll, we'll just do a, a special bonus episode of the podcast just talking about this very thing because, quite honestly, we could easily go another hour on this. The, the whole point counterpoint on being a shit talker uh, to, to get yourself over again and not to pick on the same guys over and over, but multicolored hair, your own whiskey line and all that crap versus guys who are just quiet and go out and take care of business. Because I do think it's a fascinating conversation and it's something we could go on and on and on with. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes you do run into situations like, I'm way more bothered by the fact that Dariush can't get a title fight than I am whatever's next for Sean O'Malley. That doesn't bother me nearly as much because at some point in time, the wins have got to come, and he'll either go get those in advance or he won't, and he'll fade in the background a little bit. But, you know, in the case of a guy like Dariush... I'm disappointed that he didn't get yeah. one of the three. Chandler, Gaethje, Poirier. We figured two of those three guys were going to fight, and I was hoping that Dariush... Would, would get the other. Would yeah. get the other, and that would break that glass around the fire alarm, and it would be like, here's your opportunity at the top five. It'll come, but it's a little bit weird that at this point, it almost feels like we're going to have to wait for one of these guys to get knocked out instead of earning your way in, which I would have liked to have seen. Or if Oliveira doesn't make wait, Darius, you step up and fight for the title. Yeah, well, that probably do they even make sure the scales work in Abu Dhabi? <laughs> Maybe that's why they're doing that in Abu Dhabi. There's like, all right, look. I don't think it'd be a handful of people here for, for the weigh-ins. Yeah, we're going to make sure everybody... No, I, I don't think they do that, but yeah, yeah, you never know. One more thing I want to hit on, Micah, before we get to UFC 277 this Saturday in Dallas, and this is some Bellator news, I guess. Uh, Scott Coker says Fedor wants to fight Ryan Bader in his retirement fight. He wants to avenge that loss of a couple of years ago to Bader, and uh, retire as Bellator heavyweight champ. I got to wonder, is that really what Fedor wants, or is that what Scott Coker wants? If I'm Fedor, I don't care nearly as much about that Ryan Bader loss as I maybe do a couple of the others. And if you could bring in uh, uh, Fabricio Verdum or an Overeem or somebody for me to, to beat up on for my last fight. I'd much rather do that. I think if you're Scott Coker, probably more so than, than any other MMA organization, if Fedor wants to fight your champ and he winds up winning the belt and retiring, I, I think Scott Coker would care a whole lot less about, all right, now we got to do a tournament or something to crown a new champ than, say, Dana White or, or another organization. I, look, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Fedor, maybe it's stuck in his craw, this whole Ryan Bader loss thing, and, and he wants to avenge that. That's how he wants to go out. And if it is, more power to him. Uh, this, to me, sounds a whole lot more like Scott Coker trying to hype up his heavyweight champ, who, by the way, I had to check to make sure Ryan Bader was still the heavyweight champ. I, I couldn't remember off the top of my head with 100% certainty if Bader was still champ. So maybe that's why Scott Coker wants to do this. He wants to help make a name for Bader. 
All right, not just having beat Fedor once, but beat him again. I just find it hard to believe this is how Fedor wants to go out fighting Ryan Bader. This is bad. This, this is not good. This just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It doesn't get me any more excited to want to watch Bellator. No. I don't know how driving home the fact that Fedor is a bad loser. One, he has sour grapes that he lost. Two, he has even more sour grapes because his protege, Valentin Modoski, fought to be able to unify the Bellator heavyweight titles. So as we want to honor this great sportsman into retirement, it's going to be all about petty revenge because he needs to prove we're on the door of retirement, coming off of what was a non-competitive knockout loss to Bader, that he is still one of the greatest heavyweights in the world. I've been over the retirement tour as long as it's been going. It's been too much. Fedor's biggest fan is Scott Croker, and I'm sure that Fedor and his biggest fan will come up with an adequate and appropriate heavyweight title fight, and it may very well be Ryan Bader, Fedor, because I don't know where else you go in this division. I don't know if Linton Vassell, who is on a win streak, but he also got ran over in the heavyweight Grand Prix by Ryan Bader, is a needle mover. Fortunately, to Bellator, the only thing they can do to move the needle is put out the name Fedor. So you probably already did talk me into it. Fedor Bador is the only avenue because it's not like outside of Marcelo Gome, who just submitted Davion Franklin, yeah. and me throwing out Linton Vassell will give you Fedor Bador. Uh, I just see Timothy Johnson and Valentin Modowski. Were you surprised? I just went seven deep on active Bellator heavyweights. And I don't think any of them sound like an appealing title fight. No. We've long wanted the Fabrizio Verdum fight. It's been hanging out there. Scott Croker hasn't been able to make it happen. I don't think at this point we need to see Junior Dos Santos. His shoulder's all messed up. We know Eagle FC was trying to push for that one. He's not going to be ready in time. You don't need to see the Bigfoot fight because no one needs to see Bigfoot fight ever again. Stop signing Bigfoot to fight people. Um, so yeah, Fedor, I guess, gets Ryan Bader because this is the best that Bellator can do with their heavyweight division unless we do go with the Corey Anderson-Ryan Bader fight. Actually sounds more you know, appealing to me yeah. as Anderson is still waiting for Nemkov to heel from the no contest that they had. But then again, then you would really draw the ire of Fedor because he would then see the guy that fouled his opponent, his protege, Nemkov, taking on his nemesis, Bader, and getting his title shot. So maybe we could end up with a Corey Anderson, Fedor Emelianenko fight by the time this is all done. <laughs> maybe. Look, I have a lot of respect for Fedor. I think he's the greatest heavyweight of all time. Um, I, I want him to go out the way he wants to go out. Uh, I hope that's sooner rather than later. I just have a hard time believing that that's, that's how he wants to go out with, with Ryan Bader. And maybe it is. We could ask him. Here's the problem. All right. Let, let, let me change this up how I was going to do it because uh, I'll be a little coy here. I'm just randomly putting this out there. It may or may not have anything to do with what we're currently talking about. I have a hard time with anyone that I have a four-minute conversation with 
and then we sit down and start the interview and everything has to go through a translator because all of a sudden they don't speak English anymore, even though we were having very coherent conversations before the interview. So I don't know that even if you were able to sit down and ask him, you'd get the true answer. Hey, Fedor, how do you want to go out? Perfect world. How are we doing it here? Is it really Ryan Bader? Is, is there somebody else you'd like to fight? Because you might get one thing before the interview, hypothetically when he's speaking English, and then when you get to the interview and he's not speaking English anymore and everything's going to a translator, you don't know what you're going to get. And again, I'm not saying that's actually happened in St. Louis for a Bellator card at a fan fest. I'm not saying that happened, but I am saying that happened. I've been out on the Fedor Emelianenko retirement tour since he was gifted the decision over Fabio Maldonado. Gifted? Come on! one Global back in 2016. <laughs> I can't believe six years later, it's still, and yeah. Scott Coker is still trying to bring out Fedor. It's almost sad it is very sad overall for the state of mma that the heavyweight division is still looking for fedor emelianenko to be the biggest name we talk about a wide world of combat sports most famous heavyweight kickboxer rico vernhoven gloria is taking care of him tyson fury there in boxing deontay wilder andy ruiz MMA outside of the UFC has not been able to produce these names. And you think about it, one championship, PFL, Bellator, they all have heavyweight divisions. It's just a weird landscape for MMA that the top talent is so diminished. There, yeah. There's 10 to 12 guys is what we're talking about globally that are real players in MMA in heavyweight. And unfortunately, Bellator is not cultivating that talent. No, they, they, unfortunately, they are not. But look, whatever Fedor wants, I hope he gets it. I know Scott Coker, again, says they really want to do this in Russia. You can't go have a fucking card in Russia right now. I'm sorry, you just can't. Uh, with everything going on in the world, you can't do that. I, I that, that just proves to you how deep Scott Coker and his kinship with Fedor Emelianenko well, is they are still planning on one day doing that Russia car. They're like, hey, this is going to blow And they may wind up doing day. it. And I want to be careful here because I don't want to upset the wrong people, if you know what I mean. But I, I think they find a way to do it. And I think it's going to be a bad look. But luckily for them, because they're Bellator, not UFC, I don't think there'll be the backlash that there would be if UFC was trying to do this right now. But... Look, money talks, bullshit walks, and again, I want to be careful. I don't want to get us in trouble, but there would be enough money from outside sources to make it worth whatever backlash Bellator would get to, to do that card in Russia if that's what they decide they want to do. I've seen cards in Germany, Abu Dhabi, Saudi Arabia. Would not put it past for us to go back to Russia while there's still... A war going on. No, I would not put that past combat sports. Heck, the World Cup's going to Qatar. Uh, the NBA is going to be having preseason in China and Abu Dhabi. The world of sports is a complex place to live in. How far away are we from having the live MMA tour? Dude, we already <laughs> have it. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> 
And they go to Fight <laughs> Island about four times a year. Yeah, no, 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 no. Uh, we should probably move on. All right, Micah, UFC 277. This Saturday, American Airlines Center, Dallas, Texas. A pair of title fights. Juliana Pena defends the women's bantamweight title against Amanda Nunez, the former champ. We also get Brandon Moreno, Kaikara France for the interim flyweight title. You've got a big heavyweight matchup on this card. Derek Lewis and Sergey uh, uh, Pavlich. Uh, you've got uh, Anthony Smith and Ankalov, uh, Magomed Ankalov on this card as well. I really like this card. Um, I think this is going to be a make or break for Amanda Nunez at the top. Um, we can start wherever you want here. Let's go right to that rematch, to the main event. They've had to endure seeing each other for months on and on the Ultimate Fighter. Then going back to their own gyms and having to rewatch that nightmare every week on ESPN+. Plus. You seem to have seen a calmer version a more subdued juliana pena in the lead up really took the season and put the focus onto her fighters not wanting to engage in face-offs i wonder what level of psychological warfare this is from pena how she's taking such a different task. If there was something about being around the daily aura of Nunez, of both of them maybe having their families around, maybe not wanting to be that venomous, not to spill over into the home lives, maybe being civil mother to mother. There seems like there's a lot of layers and there's a much different feel as we come into the rematch. I wonder if Juliana Pena is just trying to keep Amanda Nunez on her toes. And at point being, continuing to do the unexpected. I, I think she caught Nunez off guard quite a bit um, leading up to that first fight. And I wonder if the way she's handling her business leading up to this one, again, it, it's trying to keep Nunez off her toes a little bit. We said this at the beginning, but I, I think this is a make or break for Amanda Nunez. She wins. She re-solidifies herself. A top to the division. Uh, we probably get a third fight with Pena, but a loss here, and we may not see Amanda Nunez in a cage again, uh, at least anytime soon. Now, look, she is still the 145 pound champ for whatever that's worth. Who's the number one contender? Who's the number two? Who, who's anybody else in that division? Exactly. Oh, now you care that ra about rankings? Well, I, I know. Look, rankings matter when we need them to matter. Otherwise, they don't matter, Micah. Come on, but. Again, another loss. Look, Nunez can still be a draw if she wants to be. But, I mean, at that point, two straight losses, you're not the champ anymore. I don't know that she'd want to keep fighting. So I think this is a huge fight for Nunez. And Pena wants to show that the first fight wasn't a fluke. She wants to go out and do it again. I'll say this. And kudos to Juliana Pena for believing in herself, but she probably believes in herself more than anybody else does. And she fully believes last time wasn't a fluke, and she wants to go out and prove that. Madden Nunez has to get over the fact that her inevitability was taken away. Was it just an off night? Was there something going against her? She has to get over that mental hurdle. If you look back at these rematches, Edgar Maynard, Holloway, Aldo, Volkanovsky, Holloway. 
The one that wins the first fight usually wins the second fight. We haven't seen a lot of one-to-one yeah. trilogies in UFC history. This shit ain't playing out like the movies. You got to look at Pena coming in with being the favorite. She was the faster of the two, and that's what made the difference. Well, Nunez is the more powerful puncher. She lands harder. She lands more, but she absorbs more. It was the accuracy and the speed of Juliana Pena that made a difference. Her ferocious, undying cardio. And that's what would give me the most faith in her is the fact that we know that Pena is an unstoppable pit bull. That she is going to keep going after. She is a dog with a bone when she has a goal. Where it's been the moniker on her and she beat it for a long time. Nunez is quitting fights. She has losses before, and we've seen it be not the ability to clear that mental hurdle. That's why if you wanted to come in and say that the champion is the favorite, you wouldn't be too far off because she has that edge. She has that tenacity. She has the hunger. And I like what you're saying. Just trying to keep Nunez in a different state of mind. You think we're playing chess? No, we're playing checkers. Oh, you think we're playing hot scotch? It's connect four. You're playing a different game, and it doesn't seem like Pena would be bothered by just doing her own thing and moving to her own beat. She seemed for a while right afterwards during Super Bowl. uh, You saw her on Radio Row. Pena thrived as being the champion. I am surprised that she has not been more boisterous and outspoken because that was her MO leading up into the title fight and who she had been throughout the Ultimate Fighter. The fact that there wasn't the trash talk in the face of each other Okay, a different one-on-one approach. But a lack of the boisterousness of where is Pena talking about going down to flyweight? Where is Pena talking about chasing Nunez up to featherweight to take her other belt? I I figured some of these claims would have already been coming out as we're heading into the week, and I'm sure they will as the week proceeds. But this is a less foot on the gas, Juliana Pena, yeah. than before. But I still feel she is the more dangerous of the two fighters because she seems to be the better athlete at this point. Yeah. Um, look, as and this happens to all of us. As we age, as goals become different, as whatever, whatever... I, Again, I don't want to be disrespectful to Amanda Nunez, but I do think it's fair to wonder at this point in her life, how much does she still want it? How much does it mean to her to continue to be the best in the world? She's made a lot of money. Exactly. And look, that changes you. And I'm not saying that is a bad thing. I'm just saying it does. It would change any of us. If we suddenly found a benefactor that was going to pay us a million dollars a week for this podcast... Are we doing the same podcast next week that we did this week when we were still scraping by to do it? Fuck no. It changes. It would change all of us. Uh, You do have to wonder how much she still wants. If she does still want it, I think she goes out and takes care of business. If she doesn't, if she's not sure, if some of those doubts from the, during the first fight start creeping into her head again, this might not be Nunez's night. I am really curious to see how this one plays out on Saturday. Also love the flyweight interim title fight. I am a huge Brandon Marino guy. I, I really am. He is the favorite, the betting favorite going in here. I don't like this matchup for him, though, against Kaikara France. I, I have some concerns 
look, they're both flyweights, so it's not like either one of these guys are, are giants by any stretch. But Brandon Moreno's tiny. I I don't I just I don't like I don't like the matchup for him. Let, let's just put it that way. Uh, last note on the main event, we didn't mention it. What uh-huh. I'm seeing right now, before you head out to Ve- Vegas, or Dallas, Dallas yeah. excuse me, before you head out to Dallas, yeah. we're always in that Vegas mindset. Oh, Something yeah. about the odds here is Nunez is actually the minus 275 right. favorite. Pena coming in at plus 230. That's kind of tantalizing seeing how the first fight played out. It Talking is. about how the first fights played out, Moreno, you don't, I think he's big. I think he's a big flyweight. We may be looking at different things, and I'm not yeah. actually looking at a size chart here at the moment, but this morning, I did, of course, because I'm psychotic. I rewatched UFC 245. I rewatched the first meeting between Moreno and Kai Kara France, and I was on the opposite side of it, thinking Moreno looks so long and so wide in comparison that I didn't see many angles for Cara France to be able to cut. Cara France in that fight had a large amount of success in that first round. His double jab, overhand right, mere regular flyweights are probably knocked out in the first round. But this is Brandon Moreno. This is Mexican top. This is a guy with more heart and tenacity probably than the rest of the flyweight division. A dude yeah. that has came from being a piñata maker to a jiu-jitsu national champion to, oh yeah, here's how. Here's another aspect of the fight. How does it play in? His first fight under James Krause coming out of Glory MMA, no longer training down in Tijuana. So how does that affect the game of Brandon Moreno? A Brandon Moreno who rebounded in the second and third round at UFC 245 to defeat Kai Kara France. His jab, his left hand, that lead hand, whether it was a hook, a almost uppercut-like hook because it was coming from the hip, whether it was your regular yeah. hook or it was your jab, he was able to tee off on Kai Kara France and bloodied him up. But this is a Kai Kara France that didn't look to have the power that night. I don't know if it was a nutrition thing, a rehydration Could thing, be. but the last three fights, I've got the power. Kai Kara France is knocking dudes done. Yeah. I mean, you want to question the chin of Cody Garbrandt, but Rodrigo Borentino, and oh yeah, now he shored up that takedown defense and was pot-shotting Oscar Oskarov all around the octagon. It's not the same Kai Kara France, but that was not the same Brandon Moreno. Brandon Moreno has then went on to become the champion. His game has went to different levels. There is a definite advantage, we feel like, for Moreno, should this mat- match hit the mat. Much for sure, for sure. Better grappler. 11 wins by submission. Car France, 11 wins by knockout. But the difference in striking abilities is not that vast. Hey, you may even particularly favor the volume and the length of Brandon Moreno. Somebody that, unlike most guys, does understand how to use that reach advantage. But Kai France does have the big punch. I like Moreno as the favorite, but I would only be going like minus 150. Yeah. This 200 seems a little bit high for yeah. my liking. Like the matchmaker, like the betting odds makers here are assured that we are getting that Figueroa Moreno right. trilogy fight or quadrilogy fight. Yeah. All right. Maybe I'm wrong on this, and, and maybe this is where you getting up and rewatching the, the first Moreno Kaikara France fight comes into play here because I'll be honest, I got up this morning and I had coffee. Um, but I just. Having been around both these guys, and not necessarily side by side, I've always felt like Moreno was the smaller of the two. Um, and again, 
not that Kai Car France is some giant or some super big flyweight. I, I don't mean it like that, but that that's the way that's always struck me. Maybe I'm wrong on that, and I will take note of that uh, in, in Dallas this week at the the press conference and media days and whatnot. Uh, and if that's the case, and Marino is a little bigger, is a little longer, I'll feel a lot better about him. But I, I love his story, and I like him a lot. And um, I, I kind of like him on this one. I, I just I, I don't I don't think it's a necessarily a good matchup for him, but we'll see how it plays out. What I do love though, Micah. Oh yeah, go ahead. I'm a big numbers guy. We know that I like to dig yep. into the statistics. But I wonder if the statistics, I can just already make up the reasons for the statistics because of the recent success. It says that Moreno, uh, that Kyra France lands 1.3 strikes more per minute. Well, he's had three straight first-round knockouts. He's not getting touched a lot. <laughs> yeah. He's just rolling through, guys. So wouldn't that actually bring his absorb rate down and his landed per minute rate up? Well, on the other side, you would think that Moreno's two integers are closing in closer to each other because he got in some crazy-ass wars with Stevenson Figueredo. So yes, he landed, yeah. but damn, he absorbed a lot. So the numbers, I feel like, may be a little more skewing where they do say... Kaikara France lawns more. He does absorb more than Moreno, but not enough to matter. Only 0.2 more when he lands 1.3 more. I don't know if that's actually going to play out, though, because I can already tell you why they would nullify reasoning for my stat finding, but I wanted to throw those stats out there. Yeah, no, no, that's very interesting indeed. Something I do like, Micah, is big, heavy-hitting heavyweights, and you get Derek Lewis taking on Survey, uh, excuse me, Sergey Pavlovich. Uh, I love this matchup. Not sure how it's going to play out. I, I, I guess I'd kind of lean Derek Lewis a little bit in his home state. Although I've seen Derek Lewis look less than stellar in his home state. So maybe that matters. Maybe it doesn't. But uh, hopefully this one doesn't go too long. But but I'm guessing you're going to see these guys trying to pound the cramp out of each other. So yesterday I woke up with a sinus headache and my whole day was wrecked. I've basically slept for most of the weekend not doing all the pre-show prep that I normally do on Monday. And that's lucky for you because it's like I rewatched UFC 245 this morning. I had rewatched Pena versus Nunez 1. Of course, I rewatched the first fights as we're heading into the rematch. But I had a whole list on Monday of fights I was about to rewatch just to check out a Pavlich fight, to look back at an Ankulaya fight. Didn't get to those. So lucky for you, I did not. But think <laughs> about the opportunity here. This is almost that same position that we were talking about with Sean O'Malley and Peter Yan, but not in the same respective. Now, obviously, Yan, world champion, a huge notoriety to his name. But Derek Lewis is the knockout king, and he's up at number five, Pavlich, number 11. So this is almost that same circumstance. Pavlich having the opportunity to take that luster, to take some of that name, and to catapult himself into the top five. I think this is one that's been flying under the radar. We've been talking about the heavyweight division all year long, names like Aspinall Blades. Are you surprised, real quick, that this flies under the radar and Sergey Pavlich could all of a sudden be the name in the mix? He could be the name in the mix. I'll tell you this. Let's make a little friendly wager here, Micah. Um, five bucks says if Derek Lewis wins, he jumps Curtis Blades in the rankings. Curtis Blades can talk about onward and upward and not waiting for the Aspinall rematch, and I get that and I respect it. If Derek Lewis wins... He jumps blades in the rankings. I, and I, I know he's been up there. He lost to Gon. Uh, he and um, Nganu 
had one of the worst heavyweight, hell, heavyweight hell, one of the worst fights of all time. But Derek Lewis is marketable. He's funny. He's a knockout artist or whatever happens. More times than not, you're going to get your money's worth in the cage. If Derek Lewis wins, he, he, he jumps Curtis Blades in the rankings. Okay, you said if he wins. How, how good are you feeling, though, on that and... first thing you just <laughs> said? Sergey Pavich, a three-fight win streak, three first-round finishes. The Russian has taken care of Marcelo Gohm. Gohm, again, just pulled off that huge win in Bellator, upsetting Davian Franklin. He's also stopped Maurice Green. I don't know if those are the highest quality of wins. Coming off now, the TKO win of Shamil Abdurmahimov. See, I wanted to rewatch that Abdurmahimov fight just to see because Abdurmahimov is not a big power puncher. He's not going to come and bring that firefight to you in a way that Derek Lewis does. I feel like there is a bigger opportunity here for Pavlich to wake up like Tweety Bird flying around his head than of him being impressive. Right. This is testing Derek Lewis, though. This is almost a last raw, because let's be honest, as big of an opportunity is for Pavlich, this one's kind of devastating for Derek Lewis. You lose here, and your next fight's probably a Texas Fight Night main event. Well, and that's not a bad thing, but it's, again, going to be a fight to stay in the rankings. He's now becoming a guy that might be you make a name off of instead of he's making names of. Yeah, maybe the Aspinall injury helps Lewis here a little bit from slipping too far should he lose this. But to answer your question, um, yeah, ne never mind. I feel really good about Derek Lewis jumping blades in the rankings should he win. But your question was, how good do I feel about Derek Lewis winning? And that's where it gets a little dicey. You can talk about all the knockouts and, and deservedly so, 21 of his 26 wins by knockout. But... In his nine losses, six of those are by knockout. One by submission. Only only two fights, um, two losses going the distance. If Derek Lewis isn't knocking guys out and he's on the short end, he's getting knocked out. So to answer your question, 60-40, I, I, I think Lewis wins. Well, I love the numbers, and let's get to the numbers like this. Derek okay. Lewis lands 2.56 strikes per minute. He absorbs 2.51. One for one, basically. Because when Lewis lands one, he knocks you dead. That's the best way to put it. Um, Pavlich, 6.08 strikes landed per minute. The fear here is, does he overwhelm? Is he able to put Lewis on that back foot? And we've seen Lewis shell up and look for the one opportunity to land. Will Pavlich allow it? But on the other side... Pavlich eats 4.5 strikes per minute. You ain't even four strikes in a minute from Derek Lewis. Yeah. So he gets in there. If he overwhelms in his all offense, I, I feel like this is going to be a train wreck. One guy is going to destroy the other one, and that's it. This is not going to be close one way or the other. It's either Lewis catches Pavlich coming in, or Pavlich overwhelms Lewis. And if you're trying to take out Lewis, your best bet, go to the legs, go to the body. All right, second side bet. Regardless of who wins. And again, I'm throwing all these side bets. That, that tells you how confident I am in, in Derek Lewis here because I'd rather focus on the side bets. Uh, over, under, round and a half. E either way here, regardless of who wins. It, it's got to be under, right? Under. It has to be under. Yeah. Under. Under. Now, I don't want there to be a curse. You want side bets. Do you believe you're going to see Alex Pettis fight? Because we haven't been able to in a year and a half. <laughs> no. I think this man has had like seven 
fights falling off. Can somebody just fight Alex Perez in the parking lot for tickets to the UFC show? Because the guy can just not get to the octagon. I mean, you'd think he'd be in world title contention at this moment if you just go back and look at the list of cancellations. And I am worried. I'm going to be honest. Okay, so we had Askar Askarov just a couple weeks ago. Match now before that. Match now before that. Match now before that. Askar Askarov in a match now. Not all of these have been on the opponents. There has been a a weight miss and an injury for Alex Perez. I wonder, in the last 14 months, that's six fights falling out. Is there just a point where maybe Alex Pettis should stop trying to get a fight and should have just taken a vacation? Because <laughs> I'm worried about him burning out. Just honestly, the weight cuts, yeah. the training, the repetitive camps. I wonder if that's going to be detrimental against a Alexandre Prantoja, who's been on the sideline about the same amount of time. But on the contrary... That hasn't been because of a fight falling out. That's just coming off of a win over Brandon Royval. Huge amount of momentum, 11 months away. Well, Pettis has had all this up and down and so much emotions, the height of a fight being canceled. I really feel like this is a good spot for Pantoja because of all those outside factors. But I'm just reading into it without having seen them or knowing anything. Uh, Because sometimes I feel the need for a little action. I'm going to go with, yes, Alex Perez actually makes it into the octagon on Saturday. Yeah, so that, that fight comes off. Now, I'll throw it back at you since this episode, we're just going to title this Side Bets. <laughs> um, more likely to happen, Alex Perez actually fighting on Saturday or Anthony Smith basically becoming the number one contender for the light heavyweight title. I almost want to go with Anthony Smith. (laughs) Now, is is, is that because of the confidence in Anthony Smith or the lack of confidence in in Alex making it to the fight? Well, when you see a streak of bad luck, you kind of ride it. I just don't know if Fez can make it. And second, I believe in Ankulaev when he's a downhill avalanche, when he is a forward-moving force. But we've seen an Ankulaev that can also turn into a defensive shell and be a counter-striker who is looking for that picture-perfect moment. If he is stuck staring in that lens too long, Anthony Smith is going to grind him up. Because if nothing else, once Glover Teixeira knocked the teeth out of Anthony Smith's head, that lion in his heart re-roared, and the man has been on a mission again, putting it back together. A lot of us feel this is a, a foregone conclusion that this is the anointing of a number one contender spot for Magomed and Kilayev. And three-fight win streak, the momentum and the confidence has built each time for Anthony Smith as he has taken on the brightest stars of the division, Devin Clark, Jimmy Crute, and Ryan Spann. This is a different animal, but I, I think that Anthony Smith has the chops and that veteranness, that grit, that tenacity, that dirtiness to push Ankulayev into a place where he's never been, where Ankulayev was heavily criticized, let's be honest, in the Tiago Santos fight for cruising, for cruising on auto control. There's a reason why you go from a fight night main event to the opener of the Mm pay-per-view. That's because of a lack of excitement, a lack of entertainment, a lack of O'Malley or Patty Pimblett, a lack of any of that stuff. And we're not even talking about the mild manner Benil Daryush. 
<laughs> We're talking about the dude just didn't fight up to his expectations, yeah. and the UFC is kind of demoting him. But there are other things at play here that could lead Ankulayev to a title fight. I don't think that he's been pushed, though. You look at it, Kunti Labov, Krylov, Ozdemir, Tiago Santos. I think Smith pushes him. Am I wrong? No, I, I think you're right on that. I, again, I I don't like Smith to get the win here, but I don't think it would be a shock in the least if he did. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, real quick, Mike, uh, uh, the prelims on ABC. Uh, USC getting a lot of... Uh, ABC ESPN love lately. So we'll, we'll get the prelims there. Early prelims are on uh, Plus and uh, Fight Pass. So uh, anything on the, uh, the the early cards that stand out to you? Fight of the night potential for Alex Moreno versus Matthew Semmelsberger. You know that Moreno's been there with guys like Pettis and Cerrone. Mm -hmm. So he has that dog mentality. He can strike. He can grapple. Semmelsberger, somewhat untested. Big power. Good athlete, strapping kid. Also, on the heavyweight division, I wanted to highlight, and I'm going to totally mess up his name, Hamdi Adabuwa is going to be making his debut on short notice against Dante Mays. Depending on what site you look at, you'll see 5-0 and or 3-0. and Let me explain that to you. 3-0 and in MMA with gloves, all wins by knockouts. Two more additional wins coming on the... Jorge Masvidal, Gamebred FC, the bare knuckle MMA. So ah. some sites will say five and zero, some will say three and zero. For our preferences, let's say he does have five fights of MMA experience under his resume as he comes into this UFC debut. Hey, and Dakar also close is there on the prelims. Also, he's close to breaking in. He's won three or four. Only loss is to Bidio Dariush. He's going to be taking on a tough grappler and Rafa Garcia. One more prospect. Well, two more prospects to mention. Sorry, Carlisle. Got a lot to get on this one. Unbeaten Michael Perez. He's coming off of a knockout of Trevin Giles. Giles, totally bona fide skill set. This one is exciting. Adam Fouguet jumping in on short notice and in the light heavyweight division. Nick Negmerianu, a grinder, a tough, tough in the clinch space striker, going to be taking on Igor Pretoria. Pretoria, a 15-fight win streak coming off of a win on the contender series. We're going to really see what kind of competition he was taking on. That one definitely something to highlight on those early prelims. For sure. Micah, tell everybody how they can keep up with you. At cagedminds.com. Go over to the website. We still have the interview up with Amber Brown this Friday night in uh, LFA. I am totally messing it up. This Friday night, UFC Fight Pass. My friends, LFA. It's LFA 137, Commerce, California. It's a 14-fight card. Chase Gibson, Hyder Amel, the winner there, Probably heading towards an LFA title fight. And then the UFC. I got an interview, like I said, with Amber Brown. She opens up the card against Pauline Macias. The website is cagedminds.com. YouTube channel is Caged Minds MMA Show. Caged Minds Combat Sports News on Facebook. Caged Minds underscore CSN on Instagram. And it's at Caged Minds MMA on Twitter. Find the show on Twitter at MMA After Hours. Get me at Real Mike Carlisle. Email us, MMAAfterHours at gmail.com. Enjoy the fights. We'll talk to you next week for another episode of MMA After Hours here on the After Hours Podcast Network. Love combat sports? I have a website for you, cageminds.com. That's C-A-G-E-D-M-I-N-D-S.com. Fight news from around the world in-depth interviews, live event coverage, 
covering combat sports for over a decade. Established in April 2011. That's CageMinds.com.